Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. Today we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, and in particular verses 4 to 7, where it talks about we are living stones. And as we come to Jesus, the living stone, the chief cornerstone, we are being built into a spiritual house for God. So open your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and we'll jump right in. Pastor Carl was talking about, we're going we're gonna to talk today about building the house of God. So I'm going to start off with a little joke, just so hopefully, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know. Where was Solomon's temple located? On the side of his head. His temple. <laughs> uh, ouch. I tried. Actually, that was the response I was going for. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it's more true. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> and we'll get into why that's not true. The temple of God's not located in our heads. It's in our hearts. It's in our spirits. We are the temple of God. But we're, we're going to get into all that. But as you know, we've been reading uh, First Peter. I hope you're reading along as well. Like not just every week, but just kind of reading the chapters. But maybe once or twice over the summer, maybe even once a week, I'd encourage you to just to read the whole book. Like, just read through, because, you know, it says in the book that it was written to a bunch of saints who were scattered all over the place. So just imagine there's a big geographical area, and this letter is making its rounds to all these different people. And what they're doing is they're going to, to, to church, whatever that was for them, going to somebody's house, going to a building, going to synagogue, and somebody would read the letter in its entirety. Like the Bible, uh, the chapters and verses, that part didn't get added until it was a French monk in the Middle Ages that added it. So, I mean, it's really meant to be understood as a, as a whole and a complete thought. So I hope, you're, I hope you're doing that. And if you haven't done it yet, I'd strongly, strongly encourage you. But Peter's writing to a very specific people who are going through some stuff and they're scattered throughout this area of Asia and the Roman province of Bithynia. And he's writing to them and just as a way of recap, he's encouraging them. He's saying, you know what guys, you might be living in a hostile culture. You might be living in a world where it feels like it's not, you're just kind of passing through. But I'll tell you what, put your hope and trust in this. You've got to share in the resurrection life of Christ. Put your hope and trust in the fact that there is an inheritance reserved in you for, for, for you in heaven and that God himself is keeping you by his power. That no matter what's happening in your life and in your circumstances and in your culture and in your times and in your day, God himself has got a grip on you and he's not going to let you go. There's an inheritance for you that's not going to slip out of your hands. It's not fragile. It's something that you can lay hold of by faith and even begin to walk in and manifest now when you see that the actual essence of that inheritance is the very glory of Jesus Christ himself. So he's trying to encourage them in, in the space that they're in and where they're living. And, and then last week we heard Pastor Carl talk about be holy, H-W-O-L-E-Y, as he is holy. And it says be holy in all your conversation. And uh, Pastor Carl brought out this, this amazing word, express. He says, when he's saying, be holy in all your conduct as I am holy, what he's really saying to you is let the life of Christ inside of you that you're already a participant and a partaker of, let that life express through you. Yeah. He's saying Christ is our sanctification. Paul said the same thing. When you see it in the scriptures, you see it everywhere. It says of God, are we in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, redemption, uh, righteousness, and sanctification. Jesus is himself our holiness. Holiness isn't a badge that he stamped on our, you know, on our shirt and said, hello, my name is holy. Holiness is your share in his life. You've been grafted into him. You've been made one with him. Therefore, let that life express itself through you. And it's not difficult. It's a, it's a, a journey of faith. But he is our sanctification. Because we've not been saved and we've not been delivered to take up a new law, right? right? He's not saved us and delivered us to a lifestyle of rules and regulations and commitments and all that kind of stuff. He's actually given us a life. He's given us life. He's given us his own life. Therefore, Christianity is therefore much more about being than it is doing. 
It's simply an expression of what God has put inside of us, and it's about us identifying ourselves in that life. And that's a lot more than just a doctrinal statement. That's a lot more than just a, you know, hello, my name is holy. That is, I actually am alive in the depths of who I am with the holiness of Christ. And when you get a hold of that, that's going to change your world. That's going to change your life. All of a sudden, the miraculous stuff that we're hearing about, that's actually incredibly doable. It's actually incredibly natural for you because you've actually been grafted into the flow of that supernatural life. So this is a a great quote that uh, Pastor Carl brought us last week from Billy Graham. And the question was asked, are Christians a truly holy people or are we trying to become a holy people? And uh, he said, as an oak sapling grows, so imagine a tiny little oak tree, it doesn't become more oakier. It just, you know, expresses the fullness of what's already inside of it, and it becomes the full-blown oak tree. And there's a little bit of confusion about this concept called maturity. The Bible's got a lot to say about maturity, but a proper understanding of it is maturity is a full expression of what you already are. We're not becoming more holy. We're expressing the holiness that we have and that we've already been made. So it's not a journey into becoming. It's a greater awakening to what I am. Does that make sense? You grasp that, and I'm telling you what, your world's going to change. There is change. There is growth. There is transformation. We're not saying that you stay fossilized as you are right now. But if we use the biblical word and the biblical paradigm for transformation, then think about Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. It's a metamorphosis is the Greek word. It's the, the idea of a caterpillar to a butterfly. There's a change and a transformation that happens. But guess what? It happens by the renewing, the ongoing process of the renewal of your mind. Because what's happened to you is you've been grafted into the life of Christ. Now what we need to do is learn how to live by that life rather than learn how to live by principles and rules and laws or by our knowledge. And I say that because there's a, I think personally, it's the original antichrist spirit, but it's, a, it's prevalent today everywhere. It's this thing called Gnosticism. If you don't know about it, I would do a little bit of research for it. You'd actually understand your Bible a lot better because there's a lot of things in the Bible that are written directly against this belief system and this ideology called Gnosticism. And in Gnosticism, there's this, there's this, this essential core uh, component of it. Spirit is good, flesh is bad. Spirit is good, thought, the realm of pure reason, that's perfect, but flesh, like not flesh is in like your sinful nature, but like flesh is in your body, flesh is in this stuff. The material world is bad. And so out of that idea comes two schools of Gnostic thought. One says, because my flesh is bad, if I beat myself up, if I put myself through a process of harsh treatment of my body, maybe, you know, there is a place for fasting, but sometimes fasting can be an expression of Gnosticism. When you believe that if I deny myself an appetite, something I want, I'm going to automatically get, as a matter of formula, a spiritual result. That's Gnosticism. So one school of thought says, I'm going to treat my body poorly. I'm going to neglect the things of my life. I'm going to live aloof and detached from the material world. And of course, that's not Jesus at all, is it? The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. He didn't withdraw from people or from life. He actually took on a human body. And actually, he's at the right hand of the Father in a human body right now. He's forever glorified human flesh. That there's nothing more anti-Christ than the denial of humanity and God being joined together in one. But there's another aspect of Gnosticism as well that says, actually, because this doesn't matter, because my life doesn't matter, because my, what I do with my body and the material world doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what I do. Sin's not really a thing. My life is free of consequence and devoid of any consequence whatsoever. I can do whatever I want. What I really need to do is just know the right things, and then magically everything's going to work out. But Christianity 
And Hebrew thought doesn't allow for that distinction. In Christianity, the dualism is completely gone. Belief and thought is unified together in life. We don't live detached lives in a, in a fantasy land where what we believe doesn't impact what we do, but the power of it is such that it will impact what you do. So well, there's power involved in what we're doing and what we're talking about. And it's not just in the realm of ideas. It's something to do with life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So is he. And not because we get really good at keeping rules or get really good at, you know, figuring out this is what God wants from me and therefore I'm going to commit myself to do it. It's because the life and the power of Christ inside of us is so powerful. The regenerating power of God is so strong that something different comes out of you. Something different finds an expression in and through your life. And you look different. You sound different. Just like these scattered people throughout the Roman provinces looked different. They had a unique culture and a unique expression. It was by the life of Christ. It wasn't because they all sat around and decided these are going to be our new Christian rules or these are going to be the new doctrines even that I need to understand. Doctrine flowed from life. What they were and who they were flowed out of the fact that Christ was in them and he is powerfully in them manifesting something. His regenerative power inside of us is mighty. It's powerful. We got to believe it. We got to see it. Oh my goodness, worlds will be changed. Lives will be changed when you understand the regenerating power of God in a human life. We're not calling people to lives of rules and regulations. See, there was a time when we were under the law. And when we, when we are under the law, the problem with the law is it's actually the power of sin. So when you'd hear, like you'd hear a sermon, or maybe you'd read your Bible, or maybe you'd watch a TV show or something like that, and, and it would be a, a moral lesson to you trying to tell you how to do better and to become a better person. Well, the problem with that is that actually stirs up your flesh. That actually stirs up something inside of you that is antagonistic to the law of God. But guess what? The law of God's not bad. It's holy, it's just, it's righteous, it's good. God even said it was spiritual. Here's the problem. The problem was with you and with I, with us. We had a problem. There was something wrong with us. But look at this, Romans 7 verse 4. It says, Therefore, my brother, and you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you should be married to another. To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Fruit to God comes from union with life, union with the resurrected one. So if, you read the, if you're reading through Peter and you're reading the imperatives, you're reading some of the things that we read last week, uh, there's another thing we're going to read today. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, but here's the first three verses of it. It says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. He's telling you to do something. He's saying, lay aside these things. Now, if that provokes a response in you, like, oh my goodness, now I want to go do those things, that's a law-based response. But you know what? You're dead to the law. So you can hear things like this and not be provoked to envy, to not be provoked to deceit and hypocrisy because you've got a new nature. You died to the law. The problem that we had, we don't have anymore. Now he's written his laws in our minds and in our hearts and he's stamped them on us and he's put the essence of those laws inside of us, which is love. So we no, lo no longer need to fear these types of verses. We don't have to even shy away from them. We don't have to say, oh my goodness, when I read about coveting, now I want to covet because you're dead to the law. Right. If you've got an experience where this is kind of causing stress in your life, I'm telling you, re-examine the fact that you've died to the law through the body of Jesus. Yeah. It's not alive in you. It doesn't have the right or the power any longer to provoke you to sin or cause you to go into a religious tailspin because you're free. 
And it actually says here that if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, you know what the grace of God is going to do in your life? It's going to make you want to lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking because of the grace of God. See, the grace of God is in our lives, and it is teaching us to say no to these things and to say yes to sober-mindedness, to righteousness. It's causing us to say yes to the right things because the right things are now a part of who we are because our lives have been joined to the very life of Christ who is himself holy. Yeah? Yeah. Amen. His grace can take you from a sapling to a full-blown oak tree. His grace alone can take you from the expression of that, you know, tiny little tree that blows in the wind to the oak of righteousness that doesn't even move. And you know what? That is not a journey of becoming. That is a journey of understanding what you have already become. Can't stress that enough. Absolutely cannot. And you know what? This journey that we're on with God, this process of transformation, it's not just an individual one. It's something that we're on together. So we've heard Pastor Carl say today about it's time for the building of the house of God. You and I, we are meant to become something together, not just individually. We're not just meant to be a ragtag group of people that get together once or twice a week. God actually wants to build something specific through us. So when you look at your life, I hope you know that the expression of your life is meant to be a full-blown expression of the, the full stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ that measure. And we together are meant to be a corporate expression that is the full measure of who Christ is together. That's what God's put ministries in the church for. That's what he's doing in our lives. He's trying to help us to understand who we are. He's trying to help us understand what Jesus has done to us. Not that we would become something, but that expression would be released through us. Because who knows the world needs to see the church in all of its glory. The world needs to see a community of people right now who know their God and are able to take good positive action that actually brings change and transformation rather than just kind of sitting around scratching our heads because we don't know what's going on. The world needs the church to be the chief of all the mountains in the earth. The world needs the church to be that full body that manifests the fullness of his stature. The body, the whole, the world needs to see Jesus in the church. And not, not Jesus as the sapling, but I'm talking the full measure of who he is. And he's taken us on a journey to do this. He's building his house. And I think that Peter had an incredible revelation of how this happens, how this happens for us as a group of people. And if you remember, it was to Peter that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, right after he rebukes him and he says, get behind me, Satan. I think that was a pretty momentous experience for Peter. I think this must have seared something in his heart, but gave him a very special understanding of what God wanted to do in the realm of building his church. But what a promise for today. He's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's time to embrace what Peter knew. It really is. It's time to embrace the fact that God right now is rebuilding his house. He's rebuilding it. He's putting things back together that look like they might have fallen. He's bringing things into an expression of what he wants and what he desires. He's shaking and rattling the concepts we have of church that aren't a full expression of what he intends for us because the world needs to see it. The church needs to see it. The world needs to see it. And I'll tell you what, it's time. It's time to embrace this. Psalm 102, 13 and 16. Pastor Carl brought this out in, the, in a Wednesday uh, when we're talking about the spirit and power of Elijah. But it says, you will arise and have mercy on Zion. Zion's a type of the church. You'll arrive. Don't worry about what's happening right out there right now. Tell you what, God's eyes are fixed and focused on the house of God. He's fixed and focused on his house right now. He's not saying, I'm not saying he doesn't care about what's going on there, but there's a timing and an order of things. And I'll tell you what, certain things aren't going to get right out there until the church gets right. That's just not going to happen. So you will arise and have mercy on Zion, the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. 
The Lord shall build Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He will appear in his glory. Isn't that good? There's a connection there between the appearing of the Lord in his glory and the building of his church. When you see him, you become like him. When you see him, you realize that's who I really am. That is the measure of what's inside of me. And something changes in your world. And doesn't it say in John that we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is? Everything in your life that doesn't, you know, match up to the full measure of Jesus Christ, when you see him with an unveiled face and the completeness of who he is, bam, it says you're going to be changed. Some of us in the twinkling of an eye. But this is that moment. And what I'm going to talk to you about today, I'm not talking necessarily about, uh, you know, programs and building and that kind of stuff, like, like the, the bricks and the mortar and all that kind of stuff about the building of God's house, although that is important. See, there's wine and there's wine skin. The wine skin needs to match the wine. But I'll tell you what, the wine's important. And so today's a little bit about the wine. And I'm going to explain what I mean by building the house of God. And I hope you know, I, I mean, I've seen Henry back there, but building is not a random thing. It's not haphazard. It doesn't happen unintentional. Like, it's not unintentional. For example, I don't think Henry can show up at a job site with a pile of wood and just throw it with a bunch of bricks onto a site and all of a sudden a house appears. It doesn't happen that way, right? Right, and you know what? There's a plan. There are tools that are used. There's the appropriate materials. There's a design. And that's same for us in the house of God. That's the same for what God wants to do with us. It's not random. It's not going to happen accidentally. It's going, to it's going to come about because we've engaged God. We've engaged the movement of his Holy Spirit in our hearts. And there's a rhythm of grace that has a distinct note and a distinct sound. And we're going to let that rhythm move us to the sound of the beat, right? Yeah, yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said it this way. And I'm going to read it in its entirety because it's actually pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Just remember what I said. Hear it through the lens of grace. We're God's fellow workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. There's a way to build. There's a way to build. Therefore, there are ways not to build. Take heed how he builds, for on no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by the fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work he is, bur is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet is through the fire." Now, here's the thing. You're, you're one with Christ. You've got the very substance of his life inside of you. Therefore, the consuming fire that God is, is inside of you. When fire comes to fire, it finds a likeness. But if there's something that's not built on that likeness, it's going to experience what the consuming fire does. It consumes. So you are saved. You are safe. You are there. But I'll tell you what, take heed how you build. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Wow. Amen. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We are the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells inside of us already. See, we're not trying to do something to get God to come and bless us and pour out His Spirit upon us. What's happening is something that's happening through us because He already resides inside of us. So there is an impulse within you right now. And the thing is to hear it. The thing is to hear that word right now, to feel that impulse, to feel that stirring right now because it's happening. God is moving and he's speaking to people right now about engaging his process, engaging his life. So Peter says, this is how God builds. This is how he does it. This is his material. First Peter chapter two, verse four, he says, coming to him as to a living stone, 
rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up. So we're coming to a living stone, but we are a living stone. What is being built of God in our lives is life. The key component in both of those stones is they're living. It's life. Not doctrine, not dogma, not knowledge, not rules, certainly not religion. It's life. He is a living stone. When we come to Jesus, we're coming to a person. We're not coming to a statement of belief or a fact or a doctrine or a way of life. We're coming to a person. And you've got to see that because you share in his life, you too are a living stone. This is what Jesus was trying to tell Peter in Matthew 16 when he says, you know, who do people say that I am? And uh, he said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And he's like, but guys, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Get that, Simon. Your flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Get this. He tells Peter what his name is. He says, and you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the name Peter, why did Jesus say the name Peter back to him? He knew what his name was. Peter in Greek, it means Petros, and it's a masculine noun that means rock. And the idea that you need to get in your head is like a, a rock, like if you go to the beach and you pick up a stone and you skip it along the water. That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus said to Peter. You're a rock. You're one of those. But the rock that I'm going to build my church on is Petros or Petras in Greek. It's a feminine noun, and it actually means like a massive rock face. So imagine you're standing on the beach, and you, get, you bend down. You pick up your rock. You throw it on the water. That's a Petros. Then you turn around, and you see a massive cliff made out of rock, and you see a house built on the top of that rock. That's the Petras that Jesus is that the house is built on. So he's trying to say to, P to Peter, hey, guess what? You might be a tiny little stone, but you're a stone. You're a rock. You and I, we share the same essence, the same substance. And it's, you're going to be built on me because of that very fact. And here's the thing. There's light. There's life. There's revelation that comes. But here's the key. Where there's life, there's light. The light of God, the revelation of God actually emerges from who God is. It's not something we can teach. It's not something we can educate people into. It's not something you can study yourself into. Actually, light and revelation comes from God. That's why Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. It's a spiritual principle you've got to embrace. Light and revelation comes from encounter with life, not the other way around. You can't know yourself into an encounter with God. John 6, verse 63, he said, Jesus says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus comes and he encounters us. The spirit of God encounters us. He awakens us. He gives us an encounter with his life. Isn't this what happened to the apostle Paul? Jesus encountered him and light emerged from his being. I think it's in Timothy where he says he talks about God who alone dwells in unapproachable light. And if you've ever seen it and had the experience of it, I'll tell you what, the light of God is so thick and dense with life, it's unapproachable. It's solid. It's full of life. Unless you have the same substance of who he is, you cannot approach. I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. John chapter 1 verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus' life is where light came from. God the Father doesn't have a brain. That's kind of a shocking thing, but he doesn't have a human body. Jesus does, but the intelligence of the Father, the knowledge of what God is and who he is, and the, the, the intelligence that threw the universe into place came out of his life and his being. He is wise. He is knowledge. He is intelligence. He is these things. It's not a function of our organic gray matter. 
John 8, verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me, so all you got to do, follow him, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Life. So I'm telling you what, if you want to partner with God in this process of building and being built, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. And it's as easy as, yes, I receive you. It's as easy as an, an encounter with him that he wants to give you. And by that encounter comes a revelation of who he is. And this is a dynamic that we must embrace. We're built by life, not knowledge, and certainly not by religion. And here's a, just a, as, a, as an aside, if you, if you find yourself a little bit stuck... If you find you, like, maybe you're thinking, you know, i got prophetic words over my life. I've got things that I, I feel God has said to me, and I want to see them come to pass. But you don't feel like you're being built. You don't feel like those things are coming to pass. You don't feel like life is taking the shape and the turn that you believe that it should. Let me just show you. It's all about life. It really is. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, I believe it is. But Paul says, you know what, guys? Circumcision doesn't avail anything. Neither does uncircumcision. What matters is a new creation. If the focus is religion, and religion is tantalizing. It's like, I want to build. I want to do stuff. Remember Peter again, got himself in trouble on the mountain of transfiguration. He had an encounter with Jesus in his glorified state, and his response was, it's good for me to be here. I'm where to build. And the father, in a very kind way, kind of says, basically, sit down and shut up, son. I don't need you to build me anything. What I need you to do is to receive from my son. Hear him. Listen to him. Just receive. There's the problem with the Tower of Babel. That's the problem with Mystery Babylon in the book of Revelation. What does man build? Build, build. Religion won't get you there. But the subtlety here and the, one of the delusions is that uncircumcision doesn't matter either. Right. If you're stuck and you're, you're just kind of like, I just want to be anti-religion, you're not going to get there either. Because what matters is life. It's not about religion. It's not about irreligion. It's not about legalism or the lack of legalism. It's about the emergence of the life of Christ inside of you. I hope that makes sense. I hope by the Spirit of God you see that. But it's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. If you can throw that paradigm out and you can listen to the imperatives of the Scripture, you can see them as descriptions of the life of God that's inside of you, and you can yield yourself up to that, and you're no longer caught in this, is this law, is this grace, I don't know what to do here, and you can just let go and just trust that the life of the living, resurrected Christ inside of you is powerful, and he's going to bring something about, you're going to get some traction. Things are going to start to happen in your world because circumcision doesn't matter, uncircumcision, but a new creation, a new life. And it's fascinating that he says that at the end of the book of Galatians where he's just gone through a whole diatribe about how stupid religion is. But at the very end of it, he's like, you know what? I bear his marks on my body. Leave me alone. And it's actually not about this. It's not about that. It's about the life of Christ emerging inside of you. 1 Peter chapter 2 goes on, he says in verse 7, Therefore it's contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes on him will, no be, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone, and that word disobedient means you fail to come up under the word. Those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Now here's the thing, all that God is building in you and me and in us as a corporate body, it looks and it sounds like Jesus. It matches him, the truth that he is, and it is an expression of the life that he is inside of us. And that's what it means to say that he is the cornerstone. It means that everything that is built on top of and emerges takes its shape, takes its cue, takes its strength from that cornerstone that was laid that is Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone. But the tragedy is that many have rejected it. They rejected him in his day, and sadly many do today as well. 
Many want to build on their gifts and their talents. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not building material. That's not how the church is built. That's not how your life in God is built. Those, are, those things are meant to be expressed, activated by life. They don't trigger life. I hope, you, I hope you can see the distinction there. They want to build on religious works and systems and prescriptions. Others would build on their intellect, what they know. Christ in his life has become an offense to many people because it's devoid of our, our religious efforts and it's devoid of our knowledge. And that can be a real kick in the pants if you're a proud, self-righteous person. It really can. But to, to, to reject Christ, to reject an expression of his life and to expect to be built into something, it's like trying to build a house out of Lego on wet noodles from the top down. It's not gonna happen. Wrong material, wrong order. You can't build the roof down. Doesn't happen. So what we are becomes an expression of his life. And there's an example of this in, in Galatians. This is, how, this is how it worked out in Paul's life. Galatians chapter 1.11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached to you is not of human origin. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to me. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you remember the story in the book of Acts, he has this encounter with God, an encounter with Jesus, and then light comes. Light emerges out of the being of Christ. And by receiving this light and revelation, there's an impartation into Paul, and he becomes in essence and substance the same thing that he sees in Christ Jesus. And that's what happens to you and I. That's the process of being born again and transformed. We're changed from the glory of the old covenant to the eternal glory of the new when the veils are removed and we see Christ for who he is. When you see him, what you see is imparted into you. And then once you're born again and you're one substance and one essence of him, what you see, it causes such resonance on the inside of you. You agree with it on the inside. That's who I really am. Oh my goodness. The problem is, guys, we've forgotten the rock from which we were cut, the quarry from which we were hewn. We came from him. Something inside of us resonates with him. So Jesus comes and shows himself to Paul. There's revelation to Paul. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. God shows up, reveals himself to Paul. That revelation produces something inside of Paul. And then it says, so that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. This is the divine order of things. This is how it works. God encounters you by the Spirit of God. God encounters that person that you're praying for by the Spirit of God. God encounters us as a corporate body by his Spirit. And in that encounter with his life, there's revelation. There's impartation. There's a seeing, an internal resonance where we behold him with the eyes of our heart. They're open and we behold Christ inwardly. Because that's really where it's at. Think about all the people that saw Jesus and all they did was they saw him with the flesh when he lived. There's only 120 people that saw him with the eyes of their heart and bothered to stick around. But it's seeing Christ internally. And you know what? If you can do that, I'll tell you what, the same process, the same pattern happens for you and me. We see him. He gets revealed to us. He gets manifested in us. And then we release Christ through us. And our lives become a beautiful expression of Christ because it's from him, it's through him, and it's to him. All things. So if we embrace that pattern, we embrace God's building material, we embrace his pattern for our lives, we got some absolutely incredible promises. And as you heard earlier about uh, Pastor Carl talking about these guys, the Israelites, they got out of their lockdown, right? They came out of Babylonian exile, and they, some of them in successive waves come back to Israel, come back to Jerusalem, and they start building the house of God, and they try to rebuild the city. And then the enemies of God oppose them, and it says they forcibly made the work of God's house stop. That's a sobering thought. Because God isn't just looking for people that he can just zap and make things happen. But there's a partnership on our part. There's an engagement. There's a faith. 
There, there's an engagement of the order. There's an engagement of what God wants to do and a following the leading of the Spirit of God. But the work of the Lord's house can stop. Not because God's impotent, but it can. But I'll tell you what, he's looking for people who are responding to that inner movement right now that says yes. So he, in, in response to this, he sends his prophets. You can read about it in Haggai. You can read about it in Zechariah. But here's the encouraging word. Zechariah, who came and prophesied and got the building starting again, one of the things that he says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 7 to 9, is that he is going to bring about the capstone, the finishing stone, the final touch, the final piece of the building. He's going to bring it about, but watch how he's going to do it. With shouts of grace, grace. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, and he said, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it. You got to know in this whole process that what God began in you, what he began in us, he's going to see it through to completion. God started it. God will finish it. And the promise is the hand that laid the foundation will also bring the capstone. Shouts of grace. I tell you what, God is doing something in the world today. He's raising up an apostolic and a prophetic ministry. He's doing something right now. The same ministry that was foundational back in the church foundation was laid is going to bring the capstone. And it's good to know that because I hope you can open your heart and receive it when you encounter it. But here's the promise. Jesus said, I'm building my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I firmly believe we're in that time, guys, where it says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And if you keep on reading, it says, therefore, let us have grace that we might serve God with acceptance in fear. There's a time right now when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You know what? I'm, this is my own personal prayer. I mean, you, you might hate me for praying this for you guys too, but I pray this for the church. I pray that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Yeah. I do. I pray that anything in, in, our, in our lives that is not an expression of the life of Christ would experience, you know, we would, we would come face to face with the reality of that and that we would become a complete and total expression of his life inside of us. And that's what it's all about. It's about expression. We're not on a journey to become. We're on a journey to express what we are. Amen. That's my prayer in these days. That's my prayer for us. So I'd encourage you guys, let's embrace the plan of God. Yes. Let's embrace his agenda. Let's embrace his building. Let's embrace his pattern. Let's embrace the grace that is abounding towards us. It says if you embrace the grace and the free gift of righteousness, you're going to reign in life. There's something about opening your heart to the movement of grace that really is the impartation of the very life of Christ. The grace of God, the love of God, the gift of God, it's all bound up in the life of God. It's not independent of Jesus. That's why all things have been given to me in him. The promises are made in him because I've become a partaker of his life. I also have all access to everything that is in his life. It's not an entitlement. It's not a presumption. It's a flow of life and an identifying with him inside of me. So I'd encourage you guys, let's do this. Coming to him as to a living stone. We too, as living stones are being built. And if we embrace that, I'll tell you what, we're about to see some pretty significant things because the time really is now. That word in Psalm 102, that's, that's fantastic. The set time has come. It is time for the building of God's house. It's time for the building of our lives. It's time for the rebuilding of families, relationships, jobs. Some of us need a total rehaul in the whole of our lives, even because of things that have nothing to do with us. Sometimes it's just completely COVID related. We need to be rebuilt. And I'll tell you what, God can build back lives. He can build back relationships. He knows how to build his church and he's going to do it. So let's open our hearts wide in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, stand up with me, guys, if you will. It's exciting times to be alive. I hope you feel it. 
It's like in Ezra's day, right? There's that stir. There is a movement afoot. There really is a stirring of God. And, and this is what it is. It's a forceful gripping of the eyes of our hearts and our affections to bring people into a focused partnership with him in the rebuilding of his house. That's what it is. God's not going to grab you by the scruff of the neck and treat you physically harmful, but he's going to stir your heart. He's going to grip your affections and he's going to get a hold of your attention and your focus. And he's going to say, this is what I'm doing right now. Will you partner with me? Let's do it. But hey, if there's anybody here today who's never actually said, you know what, Jesus, I want you to be my life. I want you to live inside of me. I want resurrection life. If that's you here today, I just want to give you a second. If everybody would close your eyes and bow your head and just give a moment here. If that's you, just put up your hands. I want to pray for you. I don't think I see any hands, but you know what, guys, we're going to pray. If you're online as well, I'll tell you what, just stick your hand up wherever you are. But Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for the, the joy, the privilege of, of sharing life with your son. I thank you for the, the aspect of the life that you've given me that is union with Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, for a hope in my life that my life can be, is, and will be an expression of who he is. I thank you for the gift of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that every single person here and everybody listening would feel deeply connected to the internal resurrection life and power of Jesus Christ. I pray for that discipleship process that is the learning how to live out of the life of another would become very apparent to us and easy. I pray that our lives would flow with the rhythms of grace and together we would start to take shape into something tangible, something potent, something powerful, something this world needs to see. And I thank you, Father, that that is doable because of your grace. I thank you, Father, you who began a good work in us, you're able to bring it through to completion. And we bless you and we commend ourselves to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, I think there's going to be some prayer ministry here today, too. If there's the people on the prayer teams, we've got uh, some socially distant stuff. I do believe online that the lobby is going to be open as well, and there might be online prayer for you as well. But uh, if you want some prayer, feel free. And uh, on the way out, the exit is to the right. Just go down the hall, turn left. If you're a guest with us and you've got a guest pack and you haven't filled out the guest card yet, we'd love for you to do that. Just drop it in the bucket on the way out. Thanks for coming, and uh, it was really good to see you guys today. Uh, Hey, oh, wow. that was, now that was real good. I, I want to say one more thing to you that before the service starts, the notes for preaching are online, right on the front page. You can hit there, you can get the notes. You should get the notes. You can go back now to the website and you can see the service over again and then we'll upload the sermon later in the week. But you need to listen to that one several times. You need to get what God's saying to us in, in the Word and through Peter. And you guys got to get this. This isn't just us having sermons and a little teaching every week. This is God himself speaking to a body of believers about what he wants to do in the earth today. This is God himself breathing into a community. This isn't, hey, I could have got a lesson anywhere. This is God has called you to connect in a place where he's specifically speaking to a group of people. You are being built into something powerful in this day that is prophetic in its nature and powerful in its outworking. And you need to listen to that again. You really do. I encourage you to do that, all right? Now, there is a group of you folks that are actually staying behind today because I need to meet with you. And we're going to let everybody go. We're having the meeting back in here. And once everybody's departed, we're going to meet together. It's not going to be terribly long, but I do encourage you. We're going to pull out a, a couple of tables, a few snacks. And so those of you who know who you are, you're staying behind because I need to talk to you. Do that. But the rest of you, love you bunches. This was a really good day. 
this was a really, really good day. Amen. If you need prayer, there's prayer up the front. And uh, so we love you so much. Love you. Now get out there and loose the kingdom everywhere you go. In Jesus' name. Bless you guys.